The sponsor for this episode is the publisher Rootledge. They publish a wide range of books for pre- and in-service teachers, teacher educators, and educational researchers. Go to their website to find a lot of books and resources. It's rootledge.com. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope that you find your work uh, meaningful working with uh, leadership uh, in regard to children and young people. And I hope that uh, this interview that you are about to listen to will help you in finding meaning with uh, your work. Enjoy the interview. So I am sitting here in Guildford with Dr. Stefan Cantori and welcome to the podcast, Stefan. Thank you. It's good to be here. And Stefan, he holds a doctorate in organizational theory or what is the field conversational consulting so working with organizations using conversation as a process yeah and although he does not work in the specific area of schools or the childhood settings and social care settings i have found his uh, writings relevant and the job that he's doing relevant for the area of of schools or the childhood settings and social care settings yeah, and today, Stefan, we are going to talk about a book that has just been published. And uh, this is like one book out of a volume of three. Yes, there are three books as one set. And and uh, who is, uh, is it you alone or are you several authors? I'm working with my colleague, Dr. Mark Gatenby. He's writing volume one, which looks at design thinking and its relevance for service design. And then I'm working on the volume and have worked on the volume relating to the practices associated with development, how we support the development of people within complex systems and organizations for that matter. And together, we're jointly editing the middle volume, which looks at how bringing together design thinking and development thinking, we can create and co-create with people learning places in their systems and organisations. So creating this new environment where people inquire into their practice in a very lively way, but do so not on their own, say, as a group of professionals, but do so with others receiving the service however you define that so it could be education in schools it could be education in in universities it can be in healthcare it can be in commercial environments um, but working with people to co-design their their learning experience not doing it to them uh, or delivering to them 
So, so we're going to focus on the third volume, Stefan, which has been published, as I mentioned in my introduction. Uh, so can you just recap this third volume? What is it, is it about? This third volume is about practical ideas for developing across complex systems. And by that, we're talking about how we act, the sort of ways we can act, the way we can do um, co-design, the sorts of behaviours that um, we can adopt, which will make co-design a reality uh, and, um, yeah, even a very pleasant, empowering experience for all of us. It has with it lots of lots of its own questions and challenges, but we think by working with these behaviours, you're much more likely to um, be effective and see dramatic changes in levels of engagement and involvement in co-design than you would otherwise. And, and when you say complex system, Stefan, so, so you view an organisation like a school, like a complex system? Yes, indeed. It's an interaction between um, a range of systems making a complex system. So whilst you might say the teaching staff form a, a, a straightforward system, but actually they're subject to influences from many other places, from parents' expectations, from children's lives and their experiences, from um, government regulation, uh, from the wider environment, are all influencing and seeking to press upon um, what's happening within a school or a university or a hospital. So we live in a highly connected world and what goes on in one part of the world um, has impacts which we can't necessarily predict and that's one of the features of a complex system. We're not sure of all the connections and how they work and I think most most systems now where there is lots of interaction between people are complex systems in that way. Okay, I understand. So if we take early childhood um, nursery, it's not just one complex system, but it's a reality of several complex systems kind of interacting and interfering with one another. Exactly. Leading people to sometimes feel confused or uncertain about how to lead how do you work within such an environment in a way that enables you to really see great outcomes occurring for yourself and those you you work with those you serve clients customers whatever language you use and one feature of the book one of the chapters in the book is very much this about what language do you use nowadays what identities do people have? What roles do they have? Do we just accept what's going on and what's pressure, what's coming as pressure or influences from a wider system? Or are there ways of behaving that enable us to, to lead and to shape what's occurring? So that's how, that's, I guess, the concerns we had as we've put together these volumes, and particularly this particular volume that looks at the behaviours the behavior yes it looks particularly at the behaviors so that's what we're concentrating on in in this volume and are there some characteristics with kind of the good behavior as you're saying working in complex systems um i think one of the great one of one of the bigger feet one of the sort of biggest points to make on on this is that um we're 
shaping and working with a system in real time. We're behaving, we're acting. I'll talk a bit more about the chapters and give you a bit of a feel for that. Um, but it's not a notion of talking about abstract concept, concepts or seeking to talk about others. It's what's actually happening with us in our behaviours moment by moment. And how can we work with one another in a way that, um, that allows us to be fully present in the moment, acting for the better of the system and the people we're engaged with. So, for example, um, we can often talk about the purpose of an organisation. And I know leaders will often do a piece of work to bring people together to talk about purpose. Why are we here? What's our mission? What's our vision? Um, we see not purpose as being an action to be taken, but purposing to be a continuous process that within a complex system we're purposing together. And there are ways of continually revisiting and talking about purpose that is not just a fixed point that we then leave behind and move on to another topic so that's um, one little example of that so the purpose has has to be renegotiated um, yeah all the time all the time it's the same with for example we put together a chapter on role shaping so One of the features of a complex system is that our identities are always being um, shaped and reshaped. And also the fact that we're having multiple identities. Um, I think, I hope this resonates with people, that when you, when you ask people now, what do they do? What's their identity? They often say, well, I think I'm doing some of this, but I also do that. Uh, rather than seeing that uncertainty as something that requires to be made very certain, We're arguing that um, we can continually work with multiple identities and that role shaping in, in complex systems is a practice uh, that we can work with the ambiguity, that we can have multiple labels for ourselves, job titles and roles can shift and move and need to. And there are ways of behaving and thinking that enables you to do so, not with great fear and anxiety, but to see it as an, an integral part of working in a complex system. But does this not make kind of people uh, um, unpeaceful and maybe anxious if they always have to change their roles and their identity and their style of conversing? Well, I think that's a, a, a really... Um, good question and i think what we how we address it in in the book is to suggest that together we test out and prototype ways of behaving so this links into design thinking and that we actually test out with one another and we see our working lives as inquiries together so there is a strong sense of the collective so we encourage um, participatory action research that idea that together you shape a question about how you might for example work with the nature of roles in your context and you do so together asking those questions testing out new actions and then reflecting on the experiences so um, anxiety as we work collectively I think can be reduced um, that's not to say it's not there um, so we need to think about for example how we work with power the issue of power in a system who has power well we're proposing that um one of the questions is to explore influencing and the way we can influence others and the 
relationships we develop and what we do to influence on a continuing basis to take ownership for ourselves of what's occurring within the system rather than seeing ourselves as victims of the system. You talk about anxiety as though it might be something new. Well, actually, I would suggest that in the current context of our services, the anxiety is there amongst people. Mm. Professionals are asking themselves, well, well, who am I? Um, I qualified and got together a whole body of knowledge that I see as personal and professional and very powerful knowledge. People should value that. But are people valuing that? Well, I don't think they are valuing it because people are saying, look, I can Google this or I can have a conversation with someone else across the world and find out information. But I don't need you and what you once offered in the way that you offered it. So the question is, well, what are we offering? What are professionals in services actually offering? So I think the anxiety is already there. And I think often the reaction of professionals is to close down and to become very defensive and also very anxious in their own right. So people will talk. We've done some research work in healthcare, for example, and people will say, well, well, patients aren't engaging with the learning that I want them to engage with. And you have a conversation and you say, so what's the sort of, what are patients saying? What are they wanting? Yes, they might say that is the response, but we want to deliver this. We know that they need this. So a great insistence on, 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 it's important that people understand how how valuable my insights are and how valuable my knowledge is. I, I, I think there's anxiety there already. And I think rather than running away from it, speaking about it, creating an inquiry environment allows space for, for those in leadership to really work with it as a, a natural outworking of what it's like to work in a complex system. Sorry, that was a bit of a long answer, but it's really important. Interesting, Stefan. Time is running quickly. We still have a lot of time, but uh, I would like actually to dig into one chapter, which is called Leading for Learning, because this is a podcast on schools, uh, early childhood settings, and yeah, social care settings. Um, firstly, we can maybe start with uh, the title, we have in in, uh, in the field of education something called uh, the leadership of learning or learning leadership, but but why uh, why do you call this chapter for leading for learning and not of learning or learning leadership? Maybe we could say. Well, it's arguing that <clears throat> in a complex system. Um, the leader's role is to enable spaces to become available for everyone to learn in. Um, so we can't lead other people's learning in the sense, um, but we can, we argue, create spaces where where learning becomes much more possible. So it's an intentional approach that focuses on how those spaces might might open up for people um, it's seeing leadership not as leading organizations as structures and um, bureaucracies it's seeing leadership as an opening up of learning 
So the leader as learner, of course, is fundamental to this. So it's not just about what others do, but also it's saying, well, as we create spaces that are 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 helpful to learning, so that will develop the system further and enable people to take ownership of their own learning and work together with others, including, for example, school children, parents, the wider system in a very active way so that the system itself becomes a learning environment. So I guess just like uh, the anxiety issue that you'd say in your uh, uh, line of thinking that the learning is maybe already happening all around us because we live in this complex reality and we need to adjust and adapt uh, to the everyday life we live. Uh, so so is... Um, Is 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 this kind of about to how shall I say it uh, redirect the learning into something useful both for the individuals and for the organization? Well, I'm not sure that much learning actually always takes place. I think that a lot of acting and behaving in various ways takes place, but I'm not sure that there's much learning um for me um learning is about uh, creating these spaces for inquiry and a spirit for inquiry so thinking about um forms of participatory action research as i i mentioned earlier or action learning ways in which people can connect with what's going on and bring that into a reflective process so this idea of reflecting and giving space for that um listening out for learning stories, enabling people to speak about what they've learned and how they've learned. Uh, coaching, enabling individuals to work on a one-to-one -one basis where questions are asked and people then have an opportunity to think about those questions and respond to them and work through what's actually gone on for them in terms of their learning. Mentoring others, um, helping uh, people to To, to think about what their journey has been in a system and how they might get the most out of the learning from that experience. So I think this is quite a different environment than many, many environments because I think what tends to happen in many systems and organisations is learning is contracted out in some way, that it's somebody else's responsibility. You have a learning and development department. You have um, you, you, you put, send people on courses or on programmes. You sponsor their degrees. You say, well, learning happens over there, but when you come back to us in this place, it's, well, you need to get on with the work. And we're arguing that that's not good enough and that's not sufficient for working in complex systems. You have said uh, several times that asking good questions and listening to one another is important. Are, are these two um, disciplines of asking questions and listening also a part of this development of complex systems? Certainly. I mean, one of the key, key sort of areas for development is this notion of um, empathising. Uh, so that begins with listening, listening um, both to yourself and where you are, but also listening carefully and with interest to where another person might be and uh, being willing to put yourself in their shoes 
um, in some shape or or another. So listening and empathy go together. And to work in a complex system, empathising and the skills of empathising are fundamental because you will have a huge diversity of people, won't you, in a system. And unless you develop the, the practices of empathising, listening carefully is one of the key skills within empathy. You're not likely to be able to really understand where people are coming from and thereby you won't be able to co-design their experience with them. Moving on, uh, without listening carefully, uh, are being able to frame and develop interesting questions um, uh, becomes very difficult. And what happens is your ideas oh, you put as a top priority. So you exhibit some sort of power by putting questions into the system rather than allowing those questions to be developed with others. So the process of co-design is in part the skill and behaviour of framing questions together with people, not imposing questions on a system. So question framing, because then question framing leads to inquiry. The questions we ask shape our directions, the directions of our systems and directions of ourselves personally as well, actually, for that matter. So framing great questions, um, enabling them to be um, inquired into individually with others is, is fundamental to, to, to co-designing in complex systems. You talk a lot about, um, yeah, organizations as complex systems. And if we say that a school is a set of complex systems and a nursery and a social care home, uh, do you think that um, a school, for example, is more complex nowadays than it was 30 years ago? Yeah, I'm, I'm just conscious as you ask that question that the word complex and system, they're quite loaded terms as well. So, so what do we mean by complexity? Um, I think they are complex in the sense of uh, where, what, what is knowledge and our understanding of types of knowledge and where, what knowledge is trusted or not trusted. So I think they're much more complex in terms of um, working with knowledge and understanding who we are in our identities within systems than before. I, I think um, the more sort of the, the wider Western culture has opened up lots of questions for inquiry that previously could not be shared. Um, different forms of media now allow those questions to be shared in an instant. So people are are spur sparked into asking questions that previously um, would not be asked or dynamics within power relationships within a bureaucracy would have prevented them from being given space. But every professional, every person ha has, has access to, to questions now which they didn't have before and has some spaces in which they can discuss them perhaps superficially but nonetheless they can be discussed so there's nothing if you like that's not on the table for discussion very often i think that provokes a complexity around knowledge and our understanding of knowledge and um the boundaries within systems are less physical boundaries and more boundaries of types of knowledge and the interactions between types of knowledge so leadership means that we get to grips with what is knowledge what types of knowledge are 
there, how we move between the different types and understandings of what knowledge is, um, as much as it is about, as I say, the physical location of a school or a school building or the staff within a building. So, so is this kind of bound up with that we live in a postmodern age or post postmodern age or something like that? Well, that would be another three or four podcasts, I suspect, in terms of a discussion. Um, I, I, I hesitate to label it as postmodern. Um, because I'm not arguing that the world is entirely fluid and open to interpretation by every individual. Um, I am arguing the social constructionist case, which suggests that the social reality we experience with one another, and by that, with one another, I mean within organisations and systems, is constructed between us, and that we therefore need to give attention to it. And if, if you argue that social constructionism is a subset, a subsection of postmodernism, then yes. But I think I wouldn't want to label this just pure postmodernism in that sense. But that is another podcast. And can you have pure postmodernism postmodernism discuss anyway? Yeah, thank you, Stefan. You have given us a flavor into this uh, uh, book and, and also to this kind of whole set of three volumes. Um, yeah, so we are reaching the end, Stefan. Uh, of course, people can uh, get this book, but uh, you have also done uh, your doctorate. You have written other books. Uh, is, is there a place on the Internet where my listeners can find um, all your publications? Well, Amazon.co.uk or Amazon.com, wherever you are, is a is a good place to find uh my first book, which was um, Appreciative Inquiry for Change Management. So that was looking at a strengths-based approach to change, but particularly developing thinking around the role of conversation and being a conversational practitioner. Um, then I wrote a, a book um, around 50 um, top, uh, top business psychology models, which has been really well received very short chapters, but very practical. And certainly the book that we've just written builds on that. It sort of says, well, let's look at the basic idea. Let's think about why that idea is important, um, what some of the evidence behind that idea is, what are the implications for practice? So what, what can you do? What do you do as a result of this idea if you want to take it on board? And then some some ideas some for, for, for thinking things through further, some reflections, uh, some reflective questions and some actions you can take just to start things off. So, yeah, so so the books come together, really, with a with a with a focus on um, how we work with one another in different ways than perhaps the ways that have been conventionally um, presented uh, in the, the sort of management and organisational studies literature. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. 
You're also welcome to join us on Facebook. There's a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.